everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 171st episode of the podcast that is taking you on a journey through all of the adventures of the Marvel Universe of superheroes from the beginning. We started with the Fantastic Four number one from 1961, and we have made it to the end of another series and the end of another calendar year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, these guys, these kids grow up so fast, Mike. I know, I know. So tonight we're... It's it's not as good as 1965, but whatever. But whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I just made that up. Just wanted to sound like an old man. It's not like it used to be. Tonight we are bidding a fond farewell to the year 1967 with Tales to Astonish 101, The Avengers 49, The X-Men 41, Marvel Superheroes 13, and Amazing Spider-Man 58. And uh, the there's also technically this year the first Marvel Storybook Annual from the uh, UK side of things. But we're going to hold that until next episode. So the comics are ending this year, and uh, and yeah, it's it's both sad and congratulatory because we're saying goodbye to a comic, Tales to Astonish, but we're also getting Same, two our, comics. That's like our. Second one we've said goodbye to, or is this our third one we're saying goodbye to? Uh, we've said goodbye to suspense. We've said goodbye to suspense. We are saying goodbye what to about strange tales. Strange tales has one more issue. Okay, I think one more issue. Let's see. I'm looking right now. Yes, it does. Oh, it has that 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 iconic Nick Fury cover issue to go right with the flag in the background and all that stuff. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, that one. Okay, well, let's see how they send off all oh, yeah. lies. It has it goes to one sixty eight. Oh, we're not even okay. So we have two more strange tales. But uh, but anyways, yeah. How do they so say about an old Hulk? We're almost done with the anthologies anyway, until they bring in more maybe someday. Okay, the Incredible Hulk. Where walk the mortals? Which um, since I've read this story, I kind of don't think that makes sense because I read it wrong. Where walk the immortals? That makes a lot more sense. Okay. <laughs> Incredible Hulk. Having fought the sensational Submariner to a standstill last issue, a bone-weary Bruce Banner regains consciousness on a lonely, windswept aisle. And as he thinks about things he's going to say out loud that are really going to change his character and give us some depth about him, he gets turned into the Hulk. Suddenly, at the mystic command of a far-off figure, hidden an unimaginable distance away, an eerie change comes over the startled man, and the Hulk is born again. Panoramically produced by Stan Lee and Mary Severin, inked Frank Giacoya, lettering Artie Semek. That's right. Five whole seconds of Bruce Banner, and he gets turned into the Hulk because off in Asgard, um, you know how Loki is um, trying to keep Odin from looking at Earth to find out that the Wrecker is totally destroying Thor, his son? Well, we carry that story idea over into here. And he's like, I need more distractions. Just hiding that crystal isn't good enough because Balder and Sif are going to ruin that probably somehow. So I'm going to find more distractions. Oh, here's one. This Hulk guy. I'm going to turn him into the Hulk and I'm going to send him to Asgard. And then they're going to have their hands full fighting that dude and not even think about Thor. So he transports Hulk to the Rainbow Bridge. Hulk is like, what Hulk doing here? Who am Hulk? Why Hulk exist? And Hemdale's like, ah, monster, and he attacks him, which is never the right way to do a uh, a introduction with the Hulk because the Hulk immediately is fine with fighting and beats on Hemdale, 
And then he makes his way into Asgard, um, only to immediately encounter the Warriors 3. Hogan gets all uh, uppity and like says, oh, you're unarmed? Here's my axe. Because he doesn't know who the Hulk is. And the Hulk like, I don't need no stinking axe. Um, then they get into this big fight. Fandral, though, starts paying attention to what Hulk is actually saying, which is, I don't know where I am. Who the heck are you people? And finally, he's like, let's not fight him anymore, Warriors 3. I think this guy is under a spell or was brought here by mistake or something. So he holds back all the Asgardians who suddenly show up to try and wage war with the Hulk. And he suggests that they go to Oldar the Oracle. And I don't know who that is, but he's an oracle, or she's an oracle, so it sounds important. But there's this giant chasm, chasm, they have to jump over, um, and they do it with their horses. And Fandral's like, do you want me to help you? And Hulk like, Hulk don't need no help. Hulk jump over anything. And just as he goes to jump, Loki's like, you know what, I'm going to change him back, because this isn't working out for me anymore. So he turns to Bruce Banner, and Bruce Banner's like, what, what who am I ah, dying? Next issue. But not really, but kind of. But yeah, the Hulk. In his own mag at long last. Yay. Yay. So that's the send-off. So yeah. But not really, because Incredible Hulk number 102 is next. So it's basically his book. I He's Bruce at the end of this. He was Bruce when this started. <laughs> he's plunging to a certain doom instead of just lying on the beach. Mm-hmm. So I guess that is different. But it almost feels like, okay, can you just do one more 11-page story before next episode? Before you get the full right. issue. Can I have half a story of Bruce Banner being Bruce Banner? That would be cool. That would be cool. But no. Like, can we have him wake up on the beach and go, how did I get here? And I kind of remember getting beat up. And how do I get to where I live with just pants? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Could be interesting. But Hulk fighting Asgard is kind of interesting, too. Yes. Um. Yeah, you got you've got the Warriors three, and the Warriors three are fun. We have not really seen the Warriors three outside of Tales of Asgard, so this we is the, haven't. This is the first time to really do that, and that was cool. That was cool, and I also like that at least one of them figures out that they shouldn't be fighting this guy. Right. I really liked the way Marie Severin draws Volstag super scared on page seven. Yeah, that was funny. He's just got like the really frightened eyes, and you know he bluffs and he blusters, and but. You know, he's not actually brave. <laughs> and then he tries to attack Hulk on his horse, and Hulk just takes his horse and tosses him off it. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Loki is worried that Thor, that Odin is going to care about Thor, and I'm thinking, not likely. Nah, not not historically. But it was cool to have, like, that kind of story connection. Although mm-hmm. they, it's odd, they oddly don't caption it, I don't think, which I thought was interesting. Oh, like a reference back to the other series? Yeah. Watch Thor number – or read Thor number whatever, whatever to understand what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But that was cool. It gives you a little, like, place in time as to when this is all happening. Um, Heimdall admits that he really just hasn't been paying attention on page four. <laughs> He's just like, what are you? I, I've seen a hummingbird's wing. I can hear the ruffling, rustling of a leaf. And I've uh-huh. never witnessed so mighty a mortal – I'm like Heimdall, mm. Heimdall, Heimdall. Jeez. Since episode well, th- episode two of this pod or three of this podcast, he's been there. Um, Odin said the other the same thing basically the other day. Like no one on Earth can hurt Thor, even without his powers. It's like you guys just don't look at Earth very often. You just don't. There's a lot of things that can hurt Thor right now. I really love. I don't know if it's the inking or the color choices or the combination, but mm-hmm. I just like the the scenes with the. Um, 
the Warriors three. I don't know. There's something. Mm-hmm. There's something sword and sorcery comics about the the look. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like the first time we've seen them not drawn by Kirby for starters. That is true. So they kind of have different personalities now. But I didn't really have a whole lot about this. The last astonished chapter of Hulk ends with Bruce Banner falling to his death. So that's a thing. Mm-hmm. So we've had who started Tales to Astonish? It was Giant Man, right? Giant Man, Ant Man first, rather, and then Giant Man. Um, well, who did he share it with? Well, first he had the Wasp telling stories oh. to children at old folks' homes, and whoever would listen, she's going to go tell the story. I remember that. I kind of liked some of those. Then yeah. we got the Hulk as a backup, um, and then Giant Man gave way to Submariner. Originally, it was because we didn't have Wasp initially. It was those. It was those like parable crap sci-fi stories. Or yeah, yeah. I, Ant Man would take the lead, and then there were two or three short stories in the background. In the back Which of the we book. didn't read. Right. We ignored or did those. we read them? Okay. I didn't. <laughs> no. I think, yeah, I didn't read them either. The only re- reason we read them in suspense was whenever they were Watcher stories. Right. That dang Watcher made us read them. Mm-hmm. So Hulk comes in last, was I guess where I was getting to, and uh, then takes over the book. Well, Namor did come in after Hulk t- comes in. Oh, that's true. But, but he wasn't cool enough. No. It does go along with... Um, Captain America coming in after Iron Man, but he takes over the book. So I'm actually wondering if, for whatever reason, because I'm sure they had discussions on this, if Captain America and the Hulk were the better, or at least in the letter writings, seem to be the more attractive feature to readers. Mm. So they got the continued numbers. Whereas Iron Man and Submariner, not as attractive to readers, got the new number ones. See, in today's mentality... A number one is where you what you want, right? You want to sell that. You want people to pick that up. Yeah. Every five seconds is number one. But back in the 60s, what I've read is that the higher the number, the better, because it means the book is good. Mm-hmm. Or the magazine is good. So people are more likely to pick it up. Certainly the obsessive sales boost mentality with a new number one had not really mm. taken over. Although you kind of have to wonder with books like Superman 233, which only came out a couple years after this, it was still Superman 233, but there's a big number one on the cover saying the first hmm. issue of a brand new story or something like that. Hmm. So there's, I guess it just depends on what they think is better. Is it one three better or a number one better? I think this, the mentality is starting to shift. Yeah. But also rebooting numbers of comics. You just didn't do that. Cause there's no reason to, mm-hmm. they just kept on going until it's like 2012 or 15. And they're trying to make up some reason why Hulk is now number 6,000. By adding up all these things that don't really make sense. Right, right. Because Tales of Suspense, Tales to Astonish, he was in 101 of those issues. Uh, no. No, he was not. But I'll, I'll let that go because he was in up to 101. <laughs> and then he continued on with his own numbers. So <laughs> right. if we're going to count the legacy numbers, we might as well continue on from what we did for 300 issues. I guess that's true. But anyways, I'm ready to go underwater. Anyways, goodbye, Hulk and Tales to Astonish, sort of. And hello, Prince Neighbor, the Submariner, or also goodbye, dot, 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 an evil shell beckon. After slugging it out in a cataclysmic clash with the Incredible Hulk. Hey, that sounds familiar. Anyone would need the, the best that Blue Cross can offer. Ha ha, it's funny. Except Submariner, cradled by Neptune's healing currents, he merely rests and sleeps. But this sleep is an uneasy slumber, touched with troubled thoughts and a sinister, nightmarish vision. Under the artful, auspicious... Auspicious of Stan Lee, those lovable legend makers 
Archie Goodwin, and Gene Colan, amiably aided by Dan Atkins, inker, and Artie Semek letterer, have powerfully packaged another wistful <sighs> wonder work calculated to make you shout, <laughs> Imperious Rex. Um, so he's having dreams about a weird-faced dude with a crown. And the guy's like, Namer, do you hope to forget me? Do you ignore me? And then Namer wakes up and goes, dude, that's like the 18th time I've dreamt about this dude. And I know who he is in my dream. And I'm trying to punch him real bad. But as soon as I wake up, I just find him annoying. And I know I don't like him, but I can't remember who he is. Well, maybe it has something to do with one time I visited my mom's grave. Because that's when it started happening. So maybe it's some sort of ghost or whatever dream. Let me fly up and go fly around and find out and see if that's true. So he flies up. He gets on the radar of the U.S. Air Force. They go in to look for the bogey. They shoot missiles at the bogey. The bogey catches the missiles and tosses it back at the airplane, and the airplane parachutes out. So that was a fun thing that happened. Um, but then he's, like, feeling a call. Um, while all this is happening, Atlantis is moving because the plunderer has thoroughly wrecked everything they've ever done, and so they're going to leave again. But the call, meanwhile, is from Superman the movie, like the Antarctic or something. Uh, yeah, the Antarctic. And he goes there and he punches things and he gets frustrated. Well, actually, he gets frustrated and then he punches. Um, and he finds a tunnel on accident, purpose. And he makes his way in and there's like this strange light in there. And he's like, this seems like some sort of civilization. And then this uh, uh, ice statue warrior thing comes out of the wall and tries to beat him up. But he's Submariner. So ultimately he beats it up. And then he comes across a dude in a throne and the dude's face is the same guy as the dream. And he's like, what? It's you. Next issue, a man called Destiny. Yeah. So is this King Destiny? He doesn't look like a Destiny. He looks, he looks really more like a. He looks more like a Golub or something like that. Like King even, Golub. This guy's so out of nowhere. I don't know mm. who he is. But, and like, he's not really that important in the story except that we see his face at the beginning and his he, we see him at the end. It's like, oh, it's that guy that we saw briefly earlier. Yeah. And it's like, are we, so Namer's supposed to know him maybe? So is he going to be a guy from Namer's past that Namer forgot about? Or is this going to be a nothing story? I don't know. Or both. Or both. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It could be both. <laughs> but the guy's not living underwater, so he's not Atlantean. No. So, like, where so how would they have, have a come across this guy? Yeah. So, Gene Colan is on here. Mm-hmm. He did a mm-hmm. lot of our early Submariner chapters, but he's been off for a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here wondering, did he only come and do this one? So that he could do both halves of the Iron Man and Submariner one shot that's coming next month. Wow, that could be. I don't know that, that. I don't know what the the benefit would be to having all the pages of that weird one shot anthology comic. Um, Did he? He does both of them, huh? Yeah, he does. Because he's doing Iron Man regularly, right? That's true. So maybe they wanted him to, or maybe they weren't sure that where this story was going to go, and then the pacing just ended up being they slapped it onto the last issue of this one. Um, he seems to have, not seems to, he does. He admits to having amnesia about the missing years. And I don't think I realized, and maybe this is the first time they said it, that when he got his memories back, he Mm. still can't remember where he's been for the recent years before Johnny Storm woke him up. I don't think they've ever said that. And I think we are just assuming that he knew everything. He remembered everything. But I guess not. He remembers most of his life, but something happened to make him lose his memory and 
you know, go catatonic, and he still doesn't know what happened during that time. Well, since he brought it up in this story, I'm going to assume King Golub here. Destiny? Has something to do with it, yeah. That seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have to I have to beg your indulgence for just a moment. Okay. One of the things that I always think about when I'm reading comics or books or anything is grammar mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I don't bring them up because, I don't know, they just... They, they, they take away from the discussion. But my one single biggest annoying thing that I notice is done here. And, mm. and I just, I just thought I'd mention it just, just, just for fun. Um, page three, the first page. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the bubble that says, how else may I? Do you see that one? Uh huh. Read that bubble for me. How else may I undo the chain of circumstances that has led them to believe their sovereign prince was traitor to the realm eternal. That says has metal lead, like the soft lump of metal, lead, L-E-A-D. Oh my gosh. Yep. If you spell it that way as a verb, it's lead. If you want the past tense has lead then, there's no A in it. It's L-E-D. Mm-hmm. But mm. I tell you, I this is possibly... The homophone that is spelled correctly the least often. Like, I, yeah. I so often see the wrong lead, and I so rarely see the correct lead. But anyways, that's just my thing. I didn't even notice that. And I also read it incorrectly. Um, well, you read it the way it's supposed to be, and I just misspelled well, the word. Well, yeah. But see, like, if you type that in Word, it's not going to come up wrong. Nope. Or if you handwrite it on a comic page, it's not going to get red line or lined either. Actually, you know what? <laughs> yeah. Word word just corrected it. Oh, because it recognized it's supposed to be a verb. It didn't underline it in red, but it underlined it in blue and said, Usage. Are you sure you didn't mean this? Right. So right. that's cool. It's smarter than it used to be. Um, so page five at the end, he says, This petty interference has delayed me long enough. The day will come when the air breathers will feel the full thunder of my wrath. But for now, yeah, yeah. the demands of the present do not hold me now when my interest, indeed, the key to my very being lies in the past. So once again, Namor is getting distracted from the plot. You know, Namor, when you threaten us every issue, I stop caring because I don't think you're actually going to hurt us. I'm going to go fight some humans, but first, squirrel. He always has a reason. Do you think that's just subconscious because he doesn't really want to attack us? Maybe. Probably. I found the uh, the statue in the morning on page six actually rather poignant. Uh-huh. I liked that. I'm amazed that – I don't know how big Atlantis is, how many people it has, but mm-hmm. it's like the plunderer can destroy it so badly in one issue that they have to all move. It's not better to rebuild what you already got started there. And I bet you Namor's going to come back to this Atlantis looking for his people. And they're going to uh, be gone. Of course. And they're going to be gone. But yeah, they're having Do to leave know? the city. Go ahead. Do we know? Because like, it's so iconic like how, how Cap leaves World War II. Everybody knows, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know that about Namor at all. So we don't even know when his memory stops necessarily. Right. Now, he's still alive and kicking in the 50s. So I would assume it's after 1956. Oh, Okay. Because we have actually had a 50s villain in this this book. Yeah, but it was more of a different version of that villain. The Bira in our mm. comic, Until Us Astonished, doesn't really mesh with the Bira that was in the Submariner comics in the 50s. Oh, okay. Uh, it's not like Jimmy Woo, who's straight up a sequel to that character. Okay. I, I felt okay. like this is a different Bira. Okay. Reviving the concept, of, but not the actual character. Um, 
So random, random new guy, Seth, putting the moves on Dorma. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So I looked him up. Supposedly he first appeared three issues ago. He wasn't named, but I guess he was the leader of the forces going up against Namor. Mm. And then two issues ago, he was named. He commanded the ship with the hurricane inducer that was going to war against the humans. Oh. And Namor was like, don't use the hurricane inducer. Uh, so he witnessed he, Namor dying, quote unquote. Right, right. But this is the first time we've seen him with Dorma or mentioning it as an attraction for Dorma or anything. Well, he's doing it in a okay way. He's not being a jerk so far anyway. No, no, he's, he's not. He's just thinking to himself, very much like Baldar was doing with Sif. Kind of just thinking to himself, like, she's pretty and I like her courage. And your thoughts are your thoughts. And if you keep them to yourselves until an appropriate time, you know, then that's that's you. That's being that's called good behavior. Maybe take your arm off her shoulder, but otherwise. Maybe. Maybe they're friends. Maybe they've known each other for a long maybe time. Maybe they are friends. Um who knows? But yeah. But she's not really she's not really a princess, even though I think of her that way, kind of. But she's not. She's royalty. But she wasn't in the line, so I don't know what her name would be or her title. Um, she's the cousin right. to the prince. And I even but know they're what, not like together, just sort of together. Sort of unofficially together. But now her now her consort's dead, so that togetherness is gone. Mm-hmm. So Seth has every reason to think that once Dorma has emotionally gripped with the death of her consort, mm-hmm. is available for him to start you know talking to and seeing what her you know interest level is but let that have a little bit more let that cook a little bit longer seth but is she in charge oh that's where you're going with that that's a good question. kind of not not just that i was also thinking about him but like Mm -hmm. yeah is she is they they talk like she's she says my people or our people i guess any atlantean could say our people but I just wasn't sure. I mean, it's kind of her fault that they <laughs> banished Namor in the first place. Uh, she mentions the council. Maybe the government of Atlantis is fully in the council's hands. And yeah. she's just she's just part of the royal family. Where's – what's his face? Bashti. Yeah. He's he usually is part tri- of this stuff. Trimming his beard. Yeah. Anyway, we'll find out, I guess. And my comment on the last page was no idea who this rando is. But that's how the last astonished chapter ends with Namor. His name is Destiny. Destiny. That's all we know. Buy Tales to Astonish. Well, the next issue box says interesting. It says that Submariner will be appearing in Tales of Suspense next month. Uh. So obviously that plan changes. But it looks like they were planning on doing Iron Man and Submariner in one more issue of Tales of Suspense. Oh, he is on the cover of Captain America 100 right? and the inside for five seconds in a flashback. Oh. So did they think that? Did they forget that Tales of Suspense was being retitled, maybe? No, I think I think what we now know is the plan was still fluid at this moment. I don't think they'd fully mm. ironed out the details of how they were going to transition to split titles. Right. Because it totally makes sense that Captain America continues Suspense with 100. But it does make for this really, really weird, bizarre one-shot, Iron Man and Submariner, that is just like this really weird cataloging fluke <laughs> of 1967, 68. Can I spoil something for you? Oh, yeah? Um, this guy who looks nothing like a Destiny is named Destiny. The I figured that was probably his name. <laughs> his name is Paul Destiny with an E. Oh, really? And so he's named <laughs> Destiny. <laughs> Paul. Does he even look like a Paul? Paul Destine no. or Destiny is named. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's oh, funny. Gosh. 
What did oh you see? How many God. issues he has? Is he a long-term thing? I no. That's as far as I okay. looked. Okay. I I want to be surprised by his awesomeness. All right. Well, I love his hat for one thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. The destiny hat of destiny. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Avengers forty-nine. Avengers forty-nine. That means fifties next issue. Wow. Yeah. Which Will means they celebrate that, that. Which means that fifty-seven is close. What is fifty? Oh, yeah. That's the vision. Remember when we got to the early 40s, that's the early 40s, and 40s is almost 50s, and 50s is almost vision. I know, right? So we're so close. I can I can taste the, the synth. We're so close. Only seven more years to go to get there. Yeah. <laughs> There's a really cool cover, really cool, of Magneto doing puppet strings on Quicksilver. As Quicksilver mourns the death of Wanda. She's not dead, but it looks like that pose. And the other Avengers in the background saying... No Quicksilver, but it's really, really cool. And put a pin in how cool this cover is featuring the villainous mutant Magneto, and we'll compare it to the next issue we cover. Oh. Which is the opposite. (laughs) Mine is the power. Wow, He-Man. Yeah, he points the sword at Battle Cat. Um, Mm. I'm sorry. He points the sword at Cringer, who turns into Battle Cat. Right. It's good to be precise about these things. Captain America has resigned from the Avengers. Goliath, the Wasp, and Hawkeye are searching for the missing Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch who have been captured by the evil Magneto. And to conclude our bare-faced name-dropping, let's see what the redoubtable Hercules has been up to on the soaring heights of Mount Olympus itself. He is crawling out of a... Okay, you know the top of the water slide... Mm-hmm. It's like that, only also covered with an eagle statue, and he's climbing up. I don't, right. I don't want to go down this water slide. Well, Zeus is more fun than Odin. That's all there is to it. From this towering perch, I can look over the very length and breadth of mine ancestral home. But Olympus is truly deserted. No sign of life remains. Truly, some dire mystery is here, and only Hercules may hope to resolve it. Hear ye, hear ye. When Stan and Roy saw the pulsating pencils for this action-packed ish, they insisted that nobody but nobody could do justice in inking them but artist John Buscema himself. Big John Buscema. So hang on, frenzied ones. Avengerdom will never be the same again. Stanley takes particular pride in presenting this Roy Thomas John Buscema cataclysmic cataphonic co-creation. Lettered by what's his name? Artie Simic. So <laughs> Olympus is deserted. All the gods are gone, just like Hercules' beard. Until he uh, um, he's in the temple of the Promethean flame. It's in mm-hmm. ruins. And Typhon shows up. Typhon is a Titan. We're going to talk about Titans, but according to this story, Zeus banished him from Olympus for opposing Zeus like the other Titans. We're going to come back to how that's weird in the notes. Um, so the eternal flame that is in the temple of the Promethean flame is extinguished. Uh, Typhon did that. And when he did that, all of the gods disappeared. Poosh. Why Hercules didn't disappear? I don't know. Maybe he wasn't home at the time, so it didn't affect him. He's a half god. Oh, that's why. Meanwhile- Or he wasn't home. Do you have to be home to disappear? I don't know. That's a good point. uh, Hawkeye is bummed that Cap quit, and Goliath is trying to figure out how to save Wanda and Pietro. And Jan, she shows up with food, wearing um, wearing one of those dresses that's covered in rectangular mirrors. (laughs) Like from, uh, what's that show with Goldie Hawn or whatever? I don't know, but this dress totally exists. Know. Yeah, it does. Like, I'm pretty sure there's an issue with Mary Jane wearing one of these on the cover. Um, and 
and and Jan shows up with food. Hank gets mad at her for going shopping at a time like this. So Jan gets mad that Hank got mad and Hank apologizes because sometimes, you know, he can remember to be a good person. But Jan and Hank are both worried because Hank overexerted his powers last issue, and that might turn out to be bad. Pretty sure it's going to turn out to be bad. Then we cut over to the uh, trying-to-be-reborn Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And I call them the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants because this Magneto, not being written by Stanley, is totally chill with calling himself evil and his friends. Magneto has Toad, the Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver in a flying jet thing um, that takes them to an island. Uh, this island he has personally raised from the ocean depths. Uh, at some point back in the past, he set up a fortress here, like before he went off to space. And now he's showing it off to them. Oh, look, it's my fortress. He convinces our favorite mutant siblings that he doesn't want to take over humanity anymore, even though he totally wants to take over humanity anymore. But he tells them he's just a mutant. He, he, he just wants to make a mutant refuge, which is, of course, a lie. Um but the two, uh, they do decide to go with him to the United Nations so that he can do his speech about, you know, being a cool mutant person. But once they get there, Magneto bullies his way onto the floor of the General Assembly and in the rudest way possible demands that his island be recognized as a sovereign nation that wants to live at peace. And if they say no, then it's a war with humans forever. So evidently... I, I was I was reading how to become a country, and this is not the way to do that. Um, <laughs> the assembly that's present, they start shouting back and protesting his his ultimatums. So Magneto attacks them because you know they're just puny humans. Uh, the Avengers show up because they saw all this going on on TV, and in the melee, a guard shoots at Magneto, but he magnetically deflects the bullet to graze the temple of the Scarlet Witch, so she crumbles to the ground. And Quicksilver loses his um, bananas. Uh, he fights off Goliath. He fights off Hawkeye. He scoops up his sister. He yells at the Wasp. And he leaves with Magneto. There's an alarm going off in the background, y'all. <laughs> I'm going to go oh, grab that. I was wondering that. what that was. <laughs> One second. Okay. I may or may not remember to check that out. Um, where was I in the story? Oh, yes. Quicksilver's fighting um, fighting Avengers. Um he gets his sister. He leaves with Magneto. So back at their headquarters, the Avengers are all sad because, you know, A, they didn't catch exactly why Quicksilver flipped so hard in the middle of everything. And um, two, Hank tried to grow during the fight, and he realized that he can't grow. He can only shrink and return to normal size. So he's just Ant-Man now. No more Goliath. And we bookend the issue with the fight between Hercules and Typhon. Typhon ends up banishing Hercules to some unnamed shadowy dimension. Is it the same unnamed shadowy dimension that Dr. Strange got banished to that one time or that Clea is certainly hanging out in? I don't know, no. but uh, he no. begins. Cause there's land and sky. So <laughs> oh, there is land and sky. You're right. Um, so Typhon starts planning to take over Midgard or earth or whatever. Next incredible ish. A Titan strides the land. Wow. This was good stuff. This was some Avengers, y'all. Beautifully drawn, for starters. Um, and I just, I don't know, the overall plot seemed very important to X-Men books. Uh, 
So it happening in Avengers was interesting, but still important nonetheless. Talk more about that. Important to X-Men's how? Well, I just, you know, Magneto addresses the world and is like, I want my own mutant place. Like, oh, let's call it Genosha or something. And Yes. Now he's kind of faking that, but it's still an idea. And it's an idea that he's putting into humans' heads that he actually wants. So now they think that that's what mutants want. And it just seems like a big, giant mutant step in a... I don't know if it's a good or a bad direction, but it's a big direction. It's an important direction. If they were to follow up on this, that'd yeah. be a big thing for mutants. Yeah. And even though he's, you know, being a jerk about it, I do think that having his own nation, his own sovereignty, mm-hmm. nationally recognizing the face of the mutants, I don't, I think that would fit in with his plans. It would, except for the fact that he treats mutants like jerks too. Like he if really he actually does. legitimately wanted a safe haven for mutants, and then, like, let them all have a committee that leads and stuff. That'd be one thing. But you know, he wants to be the bossy boss of everybody. And, he does, and, and all that. So, in that sense, this Magneto can't pull that off. Eventually, he grows up a little bit, and maybe that Magneto can, but hasn't so far, as far as I'm aware. Um, page, uh, page two, mm-hmm. with Typhon showing up. Mm-hmm. So he's like, verily, there truly was such a formidable figure in ancient Greek myth as a perusal of standard texts will affirm. And I'm Mm. like, and all we did was peruse some texts. So we should know. Um, Who's our, uh, who's our resident Olympian advisor. We don't have that yet. We don't have a Greek Olympic advisor. (sighs) What the heck? Although I will say that I, when I remember this story, I was thinking this was Aries. Like when we've seen Aries show up a couple times in the past, I thought this was going to be his first big story. Oh no. Yeah. So, he gives the, the Titan origin story. Do you, do you know what the Titans are versus the gods? They're their parents, aren't they? Basically, yeah. They're the generation of and uh, then, deities before what we call the gods. Why do I feel like some sort of cannibalism was involved? Or did I make that up? Well, there may have been some cannibals. I don't know about that part. But um, oh. this whole, like, Zeus says y'all are rebelling against my rule. No. The kids rose up and rebelled right. against the Titans and Zeus killed them. and killed them, and Zeus took the throne and yes. said, "We're in charge now, Dad. Right? <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. I'm a grown man." Um, so this is making them seem more like frost giants invading the kingdom when really it was their kingdom, right? Yeah, right. Um, but he looks really cool. He does look cool. He looks sinister. He looks evil, and yet he also looks like he could just be one of a pantheon walking around. And and outside of the inaccurate, or you know, at least mythological inaccuracy obviously marvel can do what they want mm-hmm. as far as history goes but i am enjoying um i didn't think i would i kind of wanted hercules to just stay on the team and be part of the team and not do his own side quest but i am actually enjoying this because you know asgard's cool and all but we've seen a lot of it now i'm kind of excited about seeing more olympus stuff i actually don't have fond memories of this storyline but i am enjoying it as we're here to me mm-hmm. this was the last bit of Avengers before it really starts hitting on all cylinders in my memory. In my memory, mm-hmm. this was like we get past this and we get to the 50s and it's like Avengers, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but I am enjoying this a lot more than I remembered. And uh, and yeah, um, they're at, a, they're at a real crossroads in this issue because Hercules is gone and not only gone, but now he's on a different dimension. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Goliath is broken and not telling anybody. Um, Cap has quit and now Quicksilver and Scarlet Witcher. Out of the picture. 
And so team over. I could be wrong. I know that at some point Quicksilver leaves the team. I don't know if it's with this story or oh, art. I kind of, I kind of figured it was. Yeah. But do you think Scarlet Witch is going to wake up and go, no, I'm going back? I think so. And I don't know how much of that is memory and how much of that is just seeing, seeing her. Um, she does not have anywhere near the antipathy towards humans that Quicksilver has been building over the last few issues. Mm-hmm. So I think he, I think we're leading to them splitting up, break, breaking that, up. That said, it's kind of funny. Uh, and I don't think unrealistic for different reasons, but it is kind of funny that remember how Quicksilver was the one who really didn't want them to be part of the brotherhood. Mm-hmm. That whole time. And she's like, no, we owe him. We got to stick with it. And so he stayed because of his sister. And then he wanted then, to join the Avengers and she wasn't and sure. And he wanted to join the Avengers and she's like, oh, should be like, no, it's my turn to make decisions because we already made your stupid decision and now it's my turn. So that's why they are Avengers. And now here he is wanting to be part of the Brotherhood again, seemingly, or at least not an Avenger. But it comes back to his sister. It's mm-hmm. it's out of it's out of well, two motivating forces. What he what he sees is the antipathy towards mutants, the bigotry in the human race, which is there. And also protection of his sister, which Magneto is manipulating, hence the puppet strings on the cover. Because I, 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 I think that uh, that mute, that bullet deflection was a very uh-huh. specifically targeted at Scarlet Witch's temple. I don't think it was accident. Oh, no. Totally. Magneto did that on purpose. How great does Buscema draw evil Magneto, by the way? I don't mm-hmm. know. I loved, I loved every face in this. He just looks so iconic and snarly. But um, I was thinking, like, well, just because... You hate humans. Why would Quicksilver think that the Brotherhood joining Magneto again is a good idea? Because he knows he hates that guy. But then I thought, you know, if this is an allegory for like race relations or I don't know what else it could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can sort of see like it's one thing. I don't know. I'm white. So what am I talking about? But like it's one thing to not like a person and another thing to also feel like like the world is against you. So you understand that person you don't like. Right. Maybe. And so you would rather back that person because he's more like you than the whole world that isn't like you. It's not that this would be a trend with people, but you could see an individual going like this, going, I don't like a lot of this guy's methods, but at least he's part of my people. And he understands what I'm going through. Yeah. Right. right. And also remember Magneto is totally lying to him about everything. Saying you misunderstood stuff. And also I'm going these new directions. Um, until he, until Magneto goes crazy at the United Nations, Quicksilver has been sold a bill of goods and is going along with what he thinks is true. Yeah. And, and he's it, also raging. So mm-hmm. maybe he'll cool, cool down a little bit later. Do you think when Jan got food, do you think she went to the burger place across the street? I sure. I, man, I wish they would all do that, but no, I don't know. She's dressed awfully fancy. It's her dress is very mod. I love it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I still hate Goliath's new antenna look. But whatever. <laughs> we, even, we even get a little diagram because, you know, uh-huh. Henry Pym's helmet comes with diagrams. This is just the way things are. <laughs> even though there's like nothing about it that's a diagram. It's just a picture. Of it's just head. a picture. It's well, it has a little cutaway circuit hole. That's true. It does have that. Cybernetic nerve center translates signals from ants instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the morphon is the synthetic substance his cowl is made of that can stretch and shrink. Uh, His goggles enhance his peripheral vision, I guess. Are they like bringing in visual signals and digitally translate? I don't know. Hmm. His improved message transmitting antennae range 10 miles. Wow. So there you go. I'm excited about him not being able to turn to Goliath again. I hope that's true. 
I know they don't want me to feel that way. Like they want it to be some dramatic thing, but it's like, great. Just be Ant-Man, please. Just be Ant-Man. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you were going sarcastically with that, but yeah, we do like Ant-Man more than Giant-Man. It's like, be Ant-Man and let Hercules be the muscle because Goliath was never great muscle to begin with. You know what it is though? Ant-Man works well for solo stories and Giant-Man works well as a bruiser on a team. I suppose that's true, but then then what we're saying is wasp doesn't work, but then we already have the wasp. How many wasps do we need? Right. And uh, yeah, I don't really know how long this size-changing thing lasts, but I'm sure it'll last until they want to do something different with them. I think uh, wasp has a new costume, but it's hard to say because page 16 only shows her back, but it's like those aren't her colors. So are they just coloring her weird on purpose, or is that a new outfit? I'm trying to find her, page 16. Where she confronts... Quicksilver and says, I can't stop you, but think about this. Oh, yeah. I think that is. That's way different, right? The cut is the same, but it was red and blue, right? Now I can't remember because I think she goes through so many costumes. I don't think we've seen Wasp in a while. We've just seen Jan. This is, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Wait a minute. No, she fought. uh, Did she fight Black Knight or did she stay out of it? That's a whole different – oh, my gosh. That outfit looks like a swimsuit. With So is that just miscolored too? Boy, we're not paying attention to her outfits is right now. Is it a swimsuit with like a, a, a flip collar thing? It does not have that. There's okay. no collar. So that's that, different. I think I can picture her upturned collar one. I, can, I think I can picture this cut that we're seeing on page 16, but it's different colors. Hmm. So maybe when she's – but the color is the same on the third panel too. I don't know. Hmm. Um. Okay, so they get to they get to the the United Nations, right? And people are starting to talk. And do you think whenever the people are talking and they say the evil mutants, they're not capitalizing it. These aren't the evil mutants as in the brotherhood of. These oh, are just yeah. evil mutants mm-hmm. as in they're mutants and since they're mutants, they're evil. Yeah. I feel like that That's what I thought I said too. Um, now, on the one hand, when you go to the United Nations, you probably should make an appointment. So I could see why they're like, <laughs> hey, we're going to stop you from just barging in. But they did seem like overly zealous about it. Right. It's like that bit in Batman v Superman whenever uh, the woman arrives to see the senator. And they're like, no, you can't just go in there without an appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, does she say she lost her memory? Who? I wrote something down about Wanda losing her memory. Oh, um, Scarlet. Uh, she doesn't remember... I think she just doesn't remember the immediate moment, or did she? Does she mean like her whole memory? Yeah, I think what just, happened? just getting hit. She in says the head. I can't remember. Like I don't remember getting hit in the head or how I got into Magneto's plane. I, uh, yeah, I don't think she's lost. I hope this is not an amnesia, wa- uh, Wanda. I think she. No, that'd be a really dumb plot point. We've got enough going on. We don't need her to have amnesia. Oh, and the one thing about the um, the size changing thing is, I thought for a second that maybe this was the part where Hawkeye turns into Goliath, but I think we're way too early for that. Yeah, isn't that more like the 80s or late 70s or something? I don't know. It's before the 80s because my Avengers read through didn't make it to the 80s, but it might be early 70s, mid 70s. Okay. Typhon sends Hercules to the same um, fate as his fellow Olympians, he says. That's what he says, yeah. But he didn't actually send the other Olympians anywhere. They mysteriously disappeared when he quenched the flame. Right. So what's going on with Hercules? He zaps him I with his axe. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really get that either. I didn't wasn't sure if like next issue we're going to see all the limbo Olympians or if it's going to be something else. I didn't know. Okay, anything else on Avengers? 
Just that it takes until issue 63 for us to see a uh, Hawkeye Goliath. 63. Okay, so that's a solid year away. So that's 69, dude. Um, Let's spend five minutes talking about (laughs) X-Men. Okay, so yeah, remember that really cool cover with Magneto and he's going to kill everybody and then like he makes this awesome announcement on the news that changes mutant kind forever. Well, we're not going to deal with that in X-Men. In X-Men, we have this really bad cover of Iceman and Beast punching something called the subhuman, who's not even human. X-Men number 41 now strikes the subhuman. Midnight and a rolling, rumbling subway train speeds through the labyrinth tunnels that wind wind, hey, lead, lead, that wind beneath the streets of the sprawling city when suddenly, the suddenly is the subhuman, who basically looks like a zombie He-Man, kind of. Phrase front, because Stanley's creative combo of Roy Thomas and Don Heck has done it again. Done what? Don't bother asking George Tuska, Inker, or Sam Rosen Letterer, because they'll never tell. So this guy is on the train track, and he gets all upset that the train almost hits him. So he starts pushing on the train, and he's super strong. Wouldn't you know it, Iceman and Beast, with those girlfriends who are just basically a plot device, are on the train for some reason. And so once again, they lie to the girlfriends, and they make an excuse, and they turn to Beast and Iceman, and they fight, fight, fight. Iceman tries to do the thing he did with Frankenstein where he freezes them, but it doesn't work. He breaks out, but then he runs away and he disappears. And they're like, boy, we should go back and tell Professor X about that. Uh, the guy, oh, by the way, they call the guy like grotesque or something like that. So he's like, that's my cool nickname now. Mm-hmm. So he's grotesque, the subhuman. And he tells his origin. He comes from below. This awesome, super-powered world that's been around for 8 billion years, but they've never come to the surface because either they didn't know it was there or they just never wanted to. But by the way, they're responsible for earthquakes. I mean, they're they're the reason for volcanoes, science. Um, every time they do energy or something, a volcano erupts. Oh, wow. Anyway, one day their place destroyed it, except for – this guy, the subhuman grotesque guy who was a prince. I can't remember why he doesn't die, but he doesn't die. Um, but he does turn like weird zombie looking. So maybe he did die, but he's still alive somehow. Atomic radiation like kept him alive, I guess. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares? We cut to um, the X-Mansion. Professor X is running Cyclops and Angel and Marvel Girl through their paces, but he's being kind of persnickety about it. He's being jerky, more so than usual, if you can even tell. Um... Beast and Iceman come home, but before they can tell him about Subhuman, he wheels away and takes Marvel Girl with him, and they talk about some mystery thing that only the two of them know about. That's why he's being so mean and making them train so hard because dot, dot, dot. I don't know. It implies that he's not going to be around or something. Uh, He comes back into the room, and he tells – what was all these dudes? Who cares? Anyway, oh, I like – I think because – oh, I know. Okay, so there's this group of scientists, right? And this one guy has created the ability to cause tremors anywhere. And he thinks that's an awesome idea. And everybody else is like, but then you're causing tremors in places. Anyway, he's like, let me show you what I can do. And he causes a tremor. And, of course, the tremor is right around where the subhuman lives. So he doesn't like that. So he's going to crawl to the surface and attack us again. Professor X reads the minds of Beast and Iceman. He says, yeah, you guys should go after that dude. So he sends them down back to where they last saw him. They find his lair, uh, and then, yeah, they're going to fight. The end. Next issue. The mind-staggering story you never expected to see, and we never expected to print. The death of Professor X. 
Okay. I liked opening with Zelda and Vera. I mean, I know the boys bail on them immediately because that's their move. Mm. But mm-hmm. we are running out of stories with these two, and having them just like being together, hanging out at the beginning of the story was a cool way to start. I think that's just desperation. I think they've done nothing to make me care about these characters other than have them be plot devices, things oh. to be lied to. So it's like, I know I'm, it'd be cool to like them if they gave me something to like, but what is it? Nothing. Zelda had a charming first couple of scenes, like when she was first introduced, mm-hmm. and Vera had a couple of, you know, interesting scenes that made her a person. But yeah, they haven't mm-hmm. done anything with them, and Zelda, at least, is almost off the table. Mm-hmm. And Vera's going to be off the table for a while with when she does. But um, but yeah, this was um, Ugh. like not even like come on, give me a panel where they're watching TV and they see Magneto making his announcement or something. That would have at least <laughs> been kind of cool. Connecting I can't it. get over. I can't get over this back to back. It's like back to back Avengers, X Men, and Avengers had one of the coolest mutant stories of the year, mm-hmm. and. The X-Men are fighting grotesques, the the subhuman. Right. Um, remember the episode of Doctor Who, modern Doctor Who, Love and Monsters with the Absorbilof? Uh Maybe, but not based on that, no. The green, lumpy guy <laughs> who touches you and absorbs your face into his belly. It's the one oh, about the yeah. Doctor Who fan club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it has like that uh, episode. Moaning Myrtle. Uh, yeah, so whenever they're – Naming him. He's like, you're some sort of absorba scon, absorba jerk, absorba loft. He's like, yes, the absorba loft. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's grotesque. He's like, oh, yeah. yeah, grotesque sounds like a great name. I want that one. You know what I hated, though, is a couple of X-Men going around calling someone grotesque. It's like, wow, you're learning nothing from this school that you're going to about little people who are bit, different. Little yeah. bit. They're, they are definitely not privy to the metaphor. Right. And you would think the beast with all of his, you know, dealing with bigotry. <laughs> right. But no. Right. The he, beast of all people. He led the fight against Spider-Man. He he leads the thing against Grotesque. He's he's a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't give two craps about the backstory. Did you story. think about how, like, how do these guys exist and Mole Man also exist? And Tyrannus? Like, how much subterranean whatever do we and, have? And Kala. And Kala. I mean, just the fact that they caused volcanoes were was was a bit much. The lava men. The lava men are living in those volcanoes. So do they not exist until after this? <laughs> I don't know. But like Mole Man, we've already made fun of the fact that he can like create these giant things to put under every city in the world. So he's traveled the entire subterranean world and has never come across these dudes. So does I like to think they're on different levels? Okay, there you go. Or different time periods. Maybe he was, maybe the rumble was five billion years ago and he just woke up or something. Maybe. Also, the world is a big place. Even if they were on the same level, they could conceivably walk all over the place and just never run into each other. Except That's true. Under the ground is solid rock. So everything has to be tunneled. Mm-hmm. So Gene and Xavier have a secret. Does he have cancer? He might have cancer. It sounds like he's leaving or dying. That's what I got out of that conversation. And he's pretty harsh about his like attitude towards the people here. But there's something he won't tell everyone else. And the next issue box says he dies next issue. So Oh, and they're doing something about an experiment. I forgot about that. So he's like, are you ready to continue our experiments? It's very vital. They might be vital. Maybe Gene is plotting to kill him. Maybe they're plotting for Gene to kill him. Maybe. I was not expecting Grotesque to last two issues. When we got to the end here and the Grotesque story wasn't resolved, I was just like... <sighs> Well, partly because I keep forgetting there's a second story in X-Men now. So right. They always seem to end abruptly all of a sudden. 
So the living diamond, what's going on here? Okay, the living diamond. <laughs> Let's get into that one. Only slightly not better. A confused Scott Summers has reluctantly accompanied the evil mutant who calls himself Jacko Diamonds to a darkened nuclear power plant where the first time the pair come face to face with Professor X. Got it? Stan Lee prestigiously presents a Roy Thomas Werner Ross spellbinding sensation, Thinkin' Inkin' by J. Verputin, Better Letters by Sam Rosen. So, like, he is also telepathic enough to where he can, like, withstand Professor X's bolts. He punches a, a support beam with his diamond fists and it bends and everything comes crumbling to the ground. Professor X seemingly dies. Scott is like, this dude be crazy, but until I come up with a better plan, I guess I'll just do what he says or else he'll kill me or something because I don't really know what to do. So they're going to go back to that factory that created his telepathic slash diamond hands and he wants to expose himself to it more so he could have a diamond everything. So they go there. Everything? Everything. Ladies. Professor, or, uh, there's a guard. Uh, Cyclops shoots the guard's gun and in his mind he's thinking, I only did that because otherwise Jack would probably just kill him outright. So I'm trying to be cool, but also not. Um, Jack goes into the facility. He does expose himself. Meanwhile, we find out Professor X uses telepathy to push the beams off him. I said that correctly. He goes out and there's a truck full of police rushing towards what he assumes is Scott and Jack of Diamonds. So he wheels after them. I said that right also. And they show up at the same time. Um, Cyclops blasts the truck full of police. Professor X reaches out with his mind and says, hey, this is my power. If you just do what I say, we'll all be okay. And Cyclops is like, yes, thank you. I will do whatever you say because I really have no ideas. I'll never be the leader of anything cool. Um, Jack of Diamonds becomes all diamond and breaks out of the facility, and he calls himself now the Living Diamond. Next issue, the end or the beginning? Oh, God, I don't know. (laughs) I hope the end, but to each their own. Um, My one note on this story is I had literally no thoughts about this story. I keep can't help but notice that he's telepathic and diamond bodied and that there's no connection to Emma Frost at all with that. None, none whatsoever. Unless they do some crazy retcon way the heck down the road. But I'm pretty sure that everyone forgets this as soon as it happens. I've also always hated that Emma Frost turns to diamond too. I just don't like muddled themes. I don't like the double mutant power thing. The secondary mutation. this guy I really don't like. Because he's not even a mutant. He's a mutate. Right. Unless, like we speculated, unless he's both. Unless he got some mutant powers, but also added to his powers. But he's not the first mutant, even though they build him at that. Because we know down the road, like, there's other people that are really old. Right. Well, even Namor gets billed as the first mutant, even on, like, a cover of one of his series. But he's not the first mutant. No. That would be, uh, do we know who the first mutant is? Or do they just change it all the time? As far as I know, Apocalypse still holds the title, but I could be wrong. Okay. That's who I was trying to think of, but I couldn't get his name in my brain. But yeah, Apocalypse. There you go. Um, yeah, ho-hum. Scott doesn't look doesn't come off very well here, but I guess they're trying to, to paint him as like inexperienced and young or something. Yeah, there's a certain amount you can do that, but it does, it does also feel like it takes away from mm-hmm. him as a character. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he stands up to this guy next issue and redeems himself. Helps win the day instead of just being saved by the professor the whole time. Mm-hmm. Would have been nice if he shot him in the face before he turned into the living diamond, but too late. Too late. Move faster next time, Scott. That's your first lesson. 
Yep. But I'm done. Good. Okay, so next up on the list, we have our second installment of our new series. The last installment. uh, The last installment in this series, at least. Uh, Mm -hmm. Marvel Super Heroes 13, which features, of course, Captain Marvel. Yay. Um, Reminder that we are skipping all of the backup stories in these books. So we're just going to focus on the the new main feature. Um, Where stalks the Sentry. No, not that one. The robotic Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. In the dim half-light of a cheap hotel room. That phrase could start all kinds of stories. Not many miles from one of America's most important missile testing bases. A being from a far distant galaxy puts the finishing touches on a device upon which may depend his very survival. My Unibeam wrist blaster is almost complete. He doesn't mention that he got the name from Tony Stark, because he doesn't know what a Tony Stark is. But isn't Unibeam an Iron Man thing? Anyways. I think it is. Now, if fate wills that I clash once more with the forces of this teeming planet, I shall possess a wieldlier, even more powerful weapon than before. Um, Stan the Man Lee lovingly lords over a Roy the Boy Thomas and Gene the Dean Colon, culmination of co-creation embellished by Paul Reitman, lettered by Sam Rosen. So Captain Marvel is in the hotel room he rented last issue. Um, he, he keeps tooling together that, that Unibeam so he doesn't have to carry it as a separate pistol anymore. Uh, he only has one capsule of breathing potion left, but for some reason he's just sitting there in the atmosphere without his helmet on, so what you're going to do? But he gets his case with his uniform in it. He leaves the hotel and he calls his starship. To kill time, he blows up a tree and a mountain, but then switches the Unibeam to reverse and unblows up the tree and mountain back together. He puts on his uniform. He flies up to meet his ship. But on board, Jan Rog is about to indulge in some target practice. He sees Captain Marvel flying toward him. The medic Una, you can't just say Una. You have to say the medic Una because that's how she's always referred to, tries to stop him. But she's arrested and Jan Rog fires at Marvel while he is in midair. Uh, a random airplane is flying by at that moment. It just happens to soar into the path of the blast, takes most of the hit. But Marvel is still knocked out of the sky to the ground. Um, Marvel goes to the pilot of the plane and he's dead, Jim. So Marvel robs him, goes through his wallet, rifles his pockets for loose change, checks his ID. And this was Walter Lawson. Missile guidance expert headed for assignment at the nearby Space Force base at the Cape. And Marvell decides that he has just found a handy dandy secret identity. Back on the ship, Una is confined to quarters for daring to speak against Jan Rog, but she puts together a container of breathing potion and to get it to Marvell, she gasses the bridge, just like knocks out everyone driving the ship. To gain access to the teleporter, and she sends the potion down to Marvel's hotel room. So the next morning, uh, when Marvel is reporting for duty under disguise, he just says hi. They let him in. He settles and starts doing some missile research because that's, I guess, part of his thing. He's uh, working at the Cape, and it's either after many months or it's after one week, depending on if you're reading the art or the words. <laughs> he gets called in by the Space Force base general to um he's the general for one of the higher security 
things. Oh, he takes um, Marvel to, to a security building and um, Marvel is astonished to find the incapacitated form of a 30 foot robot. This is, of course, Intergalactic Century 459 from, I think it was issue 64 of the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's somebody who is not happy to see Lawson. She is the Space Four. I'm going to keep doing it. Base head of security, Carol freaking Danvers. Woohoo. Yay. But she did not want Lawson brought in on this high security situation until they had finished examining his dossier. But the general evidently ignored her recommendation because even though she's head of security, he could ignore the head of security. I wonder if that would get him in trouble with the head of security. Mm. Anyways, Marvel recalls that Lawson was also a robotics expert, so he makes some plans out loud to examine the robot later, and everyone heads out on the ship. Jan Rog is awake again. That doesn't mention at all the fact that he was gassed earlier and knocked unconscious. He just is keep he's he's still living his life. He's been monitoring Marvel and he knows about the sentry. He triggers a power beam to revive the robot, and the robot immediately stands up and starts destroying stuff, because humans are, of course, now enemies of the Kree. The uh <clears throat> Space Force tries to stop him, but it doesn't work. Space Force General tries to call Lost at his hotel, but the hotel does not know what um what what they're, who they're looking for. Uh, they don't have anybody named Lawson. Marvel registered as C Marvel, but um but the hotel guy figures it's probably the mysterious stranger guy, so he puts the call through anyway. So that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel hears from the from the general that the Cree sentry is up and about and causing a ruckus. But he doesn't say, oh, yay, our planetary sentry is working again now. My job on Earth is done. I'm going to go home. Instead, he says, well, I guess I got to fight this robot because he might mess up my mission to fulfill the mission of the robot. (laughs) So he flies out. Meanwhile, the hotel guy is suspicious because this guy registered under another name. He goes to confront him. But hello, his room is empty. And so we end on a cliffhanger splash page of Cree Captain Marvel facing off with Cree Century 459. Will they be friends or foes? Next ish. Foes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So a little bit of background. Okay. This is the military base at the Cape. Okay. And it's a space research center, mission control center at the Cape. There is exactly one place in the country where this could be, which is the Cape Canaveral used to be Air Force Station, but is now called the Cape Canaveral Space Force Station, adjacent Mm -hmm. to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. So, yeah, um, Captain Marvell is working for Space Force. Yes. Space Force. As is Carol Danvers. As is Carol Danvers. I'm thinking of the Spaceballs song from Spaceballs when I sing that. that. Anyways. Um, so yeah, what'd you think about this? Beautifully drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, but then just kind of like the last, was this our third or second story? Second story. The first one was kind of short. It's kind of like, like it's good-ish, but not great yet. Or mm-hmm. maybe never. I don't know. Like I'm enjoying it because it's new and different, but it's not blowing my socks off either. And it's a little muddled as to what, it wants to do or what the plot is, I guess. That's my big complaint about it. I I, I may be enjoying it overall more than you, but my big complaint about it is that 
we don't actually have any clear specification about why he's here. Right. What is his mission? He doesn't say mm-hmm. he doesn't say I'm here to do this, but I guess if they get in the way, I'll have to kill them, but it's their own fault. I think I said that last issue. Like first we have the sentry who's like ridiculously powerful. Then we got uh Ronan the accuser who's ridiculously powerful. And then they send this guy who's got a gun on his hip. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to take over Earth or is he supposed to sabotage something? It seems like he's supposed to stay undercover, but I don't know why. And do you think his ultimate beam is to try to sell him as this like ultimate powered character? Or I'm sorry, a, a universal beam. I guess, but I wasn't super excited about it. Like we've had cooler things. We have. But um, uh, I guess the part where he could put things back together again is kind of neat. Although I assume that's only inanimate objects and not humans. People, I'm going to blow you to really bloody weird. bits and then restore your meat mm-hmm. to, to its former shape. Yeah. And also, I don't understand why he is being put on this earth if everybody seemingly hates him, except this one lady. Right. He's being like, sent did, on this mission because the higher-ups don't like him. Yon Rog doesn't want him around and is trying to kill him. So, so that, are they hoping he just fails? Is that why he's a guy with a pistol trying yeah. to do a Titan job? I don't know. I'd like yeah. to think that maybe after this plays out, we get like more backstory from another writer who comes that along and nice. does more. To find out why everybody hates him. I mean, we know right. why Ron whatever hates him beca- because uh, she, he wants his girl. But that's a really – I mean, honestly, yeah. that's a really dumb reason for the commander of a starship mm-hmm. to be jeopardizing one of his higher-ranking officers and trying to kill him. Because he likes the girl. I mean, I mean there are Century more than made, one. Century made the Kree seem like they're really advanced people. But so far, all these people are being really childish. Nothing advanced about them. Um. He does say that he's going to execute her for treason or mm. that like, that's the that's the threat. And mm. based on my impressions of the Kree, I, I I will believe that blind obedience to officers is part of your military structure. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm just going to throw this out there. See what mm-hmm. you think. Walter Lawson, Wally Lawson, Billy Batson. Captain oh, wow. Marvel. Yeah, that kind of does connect, doesn't it? I had never thought about it like that before. It just kind of occurred to me on this particular reading that they're not completely unsimilar, dissimilar names. And they'll have similar uh, 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 power-ish things in a little while. Not yet, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so, and, you know, um, as we've talked about before, the introduction of this character is 100% snatching up the trademark Mm -hmm. from the now available Captain Marvel name. Which is genius. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, I'm sad about it because I do think that original Fawcett Captain Marvel was pretty great reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, heck, if your name is Marvel and you can get a character named Captain Marvel, do then it. Do it. Do it. Yeah. It's not your fault they let it lapse. The flip of that is the vision in a few months, which is introduced so that they won't lose their trademark on their gold mm-hmm. mate, goldish character, the vision. Mm-hmm. Um. I didn't know much about pre uh, – I don't know much about Carol Danvers, period. I'm not even going to lie. But like mm-hmm. uh, I know even less about these days. But I thought it was cool that she wasn't like just like a secretary who instantly falls in love with him and wants to know more about him. Or she's actually the opposite. She's the head of security and doesn't trust him. And I don't remember how long she remains a bit of an antagonist, but that is that is her role for at least a while. She's a thorn in his side, which, you know – is a different kind of role for a female mm-hmm. character. They don't usually use women for just characters in the story that have no romantic connection to anybody. 
I'm trying to think of a female we've had in any of these stories that has any position of power. Oh, yeah, like rank? Yeah, or anything that's not just I'm a secretary or a love interest or... Betty's a secretary, Jan's a socialite, she's a nurse, not a doctor, Um, Susan's not the leader, Um, Gwen and MJ are just college kids. Actually, I'm not even sure if MJ is a college kid, she's just that same age. Um, Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I think this is our first, like, human official person. Yeah. That's female. Carol Danvers, she is in a position of authority. There may have been aliens, aliens or gods or something, but not a human... No. That I can think of. Well, the only alien or god that I can think of is Sif. Oh, you know well, what? The, We've had the, the occasional villain. Yeah. That big-headed lady is kind Hela. of... No, the the one that got to keep Earth, and she tried to take it over. She like, was, She kind of she kind of yeah. had some power. The um, She was Rigelian. Mm-hmm. Tana Nile. Tana Nile, yeah. She, but then again, you kind of find out later that they kind of just were screwing with her. But I don't or know. They changed plans without talking to her about it. Yeah. So did you notice the whole time passing thing on page 11? Um, I don't know if I noticed specifically, but it did seem like a lot was happening in very little time. But yeah, you're right. There's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine on the calendar. And I read that since it's 3, 1967 as March, 1967. So a month, months are going by. Mm-hmm. But the narration says a week. And if you read this as dates instead of months, I guess that could be reasonable. But... I thought maybe this was like, hey, at the beginning of 1967, this guy showed up and he's been settling into his job for the last several months before he catches up to the rest of the Marvel Universe. Well, he only has the one suit. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and also, uh, he's going to live at this hotel for months. I don't know. I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter either way. It still works. Um, Danvers immediately suspects Lawson, I wrote, which I suspect is going to be a common story note for her. We already talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, Jan Rog. Mm-hmm. One thing I forgot to mention is that the Sentry is giant. The Sentry wasn't giant when we saw him in Fantastic Four. And Jan Rog is he's like, oh, the robot's big now. Cool. Just like lampshades that it's a different look and doesn't explain it at all. I didn't even remember that. I thought he was big, but I guess you're right. Yeah. I think it was like oversized for a person, but not 30 mm. foot tall robot. I thought it was great to see him again, though. More. I completely forgot he came back. I thought he was dead forever. More continuity in our universe, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And definitely connecting this guy to stories you've gone before. If you haven't been paying attention to what the Kree are, this, like, connects you directly to what's gone before. I like when you see, like, because, you know, the Fantastic Four beat him and then they leave. And then it's like, you never really think about him again. It's like, at some, he has to go somewhere. So this is where he ended up. Okay, hotel guy. Uh-huh. I don't know anyone by that name, but I do have a suspicious guy. So I'll let you talk to him. They just call all the hotels in the city? Are there only two or something? I'm guessing Lawson left word where he was staying, that his oh, boss okay. knows where he is. That makes sense. But the hotel guy doesn't know that he's Lawson because he didn't register mm. under that name. So he's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And um, page 18, panel three. What a fantastic coincidence. A Cree sentry tearing up the very missile base where I've been sent by the colonel. So he's like, I've been sent to this base, and now the sentry is attacking the base, so I have to fight our own robot. Again, I don't know what this guy's mission is. Um, you would mm. think that fighting the sentry would never be on the list because someone else fighting and defeating the sentry is the problem that brought us here in the first place. Yeah, he just jumped. He talks about how he isn't sure if Yon Rog is trying to kill him or not. I guess that laser didn't prove anything to him. Uh, hmm. And then he just jumps to whatever the reason, my duty is clear. I have to stop the sentry. Really? Why? Who? What? 
I'm going to go fight a robot. If he if he had said something like those guy those humans don't deserve to die, I kind of like them now because it's been days or months. Mm-hmm. That'd be one thing. But yeah. The next Ishbox says he's going to be back for Marvel Superheroes 14, but that's another plan that gets changed over the next couple of months. Um, this story is going to be continued in the first issue of Marvel's Spaceboard Superhero, Captain Marvel. Um, Which doesn't come out next month. I think it's two months, but I think once it starts hitting, it's monthly. Yes, it's in February. Um, so try and remember the plot, everybody, because it's going to be a while till we get there. Marvel Superheroes 14 has a one-off Spider-Man story. And then starts doing one-off stories about other characters. There's Inhumans. There's Doctor Doom. There's all sorts of stuff. Oh, Dark. so we're going to keep reading this title. For seven more issues. Okay. They they continue to have in-continuity lead stories about other characters. Cool. You know what I just realized we're going to get? We're going to mm. get the fan, the Guardians of the Galaxy. The I original. forgot this was a, was a reprint title for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so it says, where stocks the century? Plus, Submariner, Captain America, Human Torch, Black Knight, and Vision. I'm like, Really? They're going to be in the story? Wow. All in this one story? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Bring us home. What's the last story? Speaking of stories, The Amazing Spider-Man, number 58. Wow. Look who's back to kill a Spider-Man. Look who's back is a giant robot with J. Jonah Jameson's snarling face on the TV screen of his head. Um, anyone else might have thought Spidey was dead when Kazar fished him out of the lake last-ish. And so did the savage nobleman until his jungle-bred instincts revealed <gasps> he's not dead. Wow. Try to beat this combo if you can. Spectacular script, smiling Stan Lee, brilliant breakdown, jazzy John Ramita, fabulous finalizing, dashing Donnie Heck, exotic embellishment, mighty Mickey DeMeo, luscious lettering, swinging Sammy Rosen, and in the immortal words of Irving Forbush, woo, that was a lot. Um, so, yeah, Kazar beat up Spider-Man and seemingly killed him in the lake or something, and he's flying flying away. He's swinging away with him. He leaves uh, Zabu behind because Zabu can't swing, and they were in the park. And Zabu, like, <laughs> kind of attacks all these police who are trying to round him up and stuff, but they don't really know how to deal with him. Anyway, it's kind of comical. But Spider-Man wakes up, and not only does he wake up, but he remembers. So the amnesia thing for the last four issues is now over. He's like, hey, I remember everything now. I guess. I guess, because that, that trauma in the lake snapped me out of it. Um, Smythe calls J. Jonah Jameson. Remember that guy, Professor Smythe or Smithy? I don't really know how to pronounce his name. It's Smythe. But he's like, yeah, so he's Smithy. like <laughs> Sunjin Smithy. He's got a, uh, he's got a brand new uh, unstoppable spider smasher thing. Do you want in? Uh, meanwhile, John Jameson laments about his dad hating Spider-Man to Gwen Stacy's dad, Captain Stacy. Gwen, speaking of, Gwen and Harry are worried about Aunt May, who's like in the hospital, and they can't they can't understand why Peter hasn't been around. It's really weird. Maybe he's missing. Something's wrong. Uh Kazar gets out of the plot because at some point. Zabu's still looking for him and he attacks the city or basically like scares the city. And so Kazar swings down and stops the cops and says, he's my responsibility. And he walks away and they're all scratching their head like, woo, that was weird. So anyway, Spider-Man thinks I got to catch up. Got to worry about Aunt May, blah, blah, blah. J. Jonah Jameson goes to Professor Smythe's place. Indeed, the spider slayer that he's now calling it the spider slayer is Kind of cooler. Before it used to look like a 
spider, I think, with a TV head. Now it looks like a colossus with a TV head, basically. And and Jay Jenner Jameson's like, let me try playing with it. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is really neat. Let's go after it. And, of course, just like the last one, it can sense spiders and stuff like that. Uh, so it goes after Spider-Man. And just as Spider-Man's getting home, and he's really tired, by the way, from his ordeal and almost dying and everything, and he's changing in his apartment, and all of a sudden, his spider sense goes off, and he's like, something's wrong. What's going on? So he puts his mask back on, and he pokes his head out the window, and he sees a giant robot, J. Jonah Jameson, coming at him. So they get into a fight. And luckily, J. Jonah Jameson's like, ah, oh, you were robbing some poor kid's place, huh? And he's like, oh, good. He didn't put two and two together there. Close call. Um, they fight, fight, fight. But then immediately, Smi- like, J. Jonah Jameson's goal is to capture Spider-Man and turn him over to the police. But Smythe's like, you're doing it all wrong. You got to be more violent. And he takes over. And it turns out he invented this robot because he has a vendetta because Spider-Man beat his last creation. He doesn't like that. So as J. Jonah Jameson complains and tries to stop him, Smythe takes over and really tries to kill Spider-Man with this robot. They get into a big old fight across the entire city um, until what happens? Oh, yeah. Spider-Man goes to Smythe's house because he knows where he lives. I guess he still lives in the same place. And... What happens? Oh, like he puts all the spiders that are at the place in the same room and that like Captain Kirk's the robot or something and makes it explode because there's just too many spiders to, for it to sense overload. Something like that. I don't know. Anyway, J. Jonah Jameson yells at the guy, get out. I hate you. I could have went to prison for this. Uh, Spider-Man tries to go back home. Oh, no, he goes home. And then he dresses up as Peter Parker to go visit his Aunt May. And when he walks around the corner, he sees Kazar in a trench coat just casually strolling with Zabu still. And for a second there, he worries that Kazar is going to figure out who he is. And Kazar's like, you smell kind of Spider-Man-y. That's weird. And then he keeps walking and they all smile. The end. Next, prepare to meet the brainwasher. Yeah. Because we haven't had enough brain problems. That has been the theme of late with Spider-Man, right? Yes. I kinda I kinda think it's funny that Kazar had little to do with this issue, but was in it. Mm-hmm. I mean he I guess he was more of a star in the last issue. But it surprised me that he just disappears. He does just kind of completely disappear. Yeah. I don't um, know. This this is kind of a throwaway. I I don't know. I think the Spider Slayer thing is kind of a horrible idea for the character of J. Jonah Jameson because it puts him a little too over the top on the villainy chart. I will agree with that. I think it works really well as uh, an evil scientist thing, which is kind of what Smythe sort of takes over as mm-hmm. in the uh, in the course of this story. He kind of kicks Jameson out of the driver's seat and says, mine! Um, yeah. It works much better as Smythe being evil than Jameson being evil. Yeah, and there's they're doing the whole, like, Jameson's just trying to catch him, but it's like you're still being totally illegal. Right. and Doing city property and endangering lives, and if anybody caught you doing this, you'd get arrested. Mm-hmm. So I posted on our Makers Marvel site because I was just curious if this is considered a classic Spider-Man villain, kind of, because it is continually it continually happens. Like this is only version two of like what twenty different spider slayers, right? Um, anyway, I just did a simple yes eh, or no on Spider-Man on Spider Slayer, and the result after a couple days has been forty-nine percent yes, seven percent no, and forty-four percent meh. Which is, I don't know, I was a little bit surprised at the amount of meh, mm-hmm. and also not, so I don't know. But overall, he's uh, a yes for people who vote in polls about Spider-Man. 
That kind of surprised me too. He, I, it looks cool. I'll give it that. It's kind of got that uh, Arnim Zola thing going for it. I feel like the tentacle design was more iconic. Yes. I found a, a picture of like all the designs and it was kind of neat. It's a little bit derpy in the cartoon, admittedly. But overall, I liked the, uh, the tentacles. This is just, like you said, it's Colossus. This is just uh, a robot bruiser with Jonah's face yeah. on the screen. It looks like it goes back to like spidery. And then at one point, it looks like a flying saucer. Mm-hmm. But, but a lot of it is just robot. I don't know what else to say about this because nothing – I mean, we get our amnesia is finally over. I kind of feel like – I don't know what should have brought his brain back, but I don't think that was it. Taking a nap? Yeah. Because we, we've had – what has it been, three issues now of him? Or at least two. Well, several with Dr. Octopus. Yeah. And then the Kazar issue. Yeah. At, at least three issues, he's been a full-on amnesia. Yeah, so then he just wakes up like, oh, good, thanks for throwing me in the water. That fixed everything. And even though Kazar wasn't in this as much, I was wondering if maybe this is a better Kazar story than the previous chapter. I actually think I enjoyed Kazar and Zabu's shenanigans in this story more than anything else. Mm. It was kind of it was kind of fun. I think it was neat that like, like nobody has animosity towards Zabu, but they also don't know what to do with him. You know, like, hey, that's that Zabu guy. Uh, what do we do? <laughs> And then, like, he just comes down there and he's like, he's my kitty. And they walk away. And then later they're just strolling around in New York at night. I found it amusing that Jameson basically discovered video games. Yeah. But what do you think made Smythe go crazy? Because at the beginning of this issue, he's like, I will slay Spider-Man. And the Uh last time we saw him was a Ditko issue where he was just like a sort of absent-minded professor who knew how to attract spiders. I got the impression he really did not like that Spider-Man bested his last invention. I don't know if I got that impression just on my own or if he says that in here. Did you feel like a bit of a Terminator vibe from this? Um, He will not stop ever until you are dead. I'm just trying to read what he says. Yeah, I don't know. And the way that he killed him in the end was really silly too. Oh. (laughs) Oh, no, too many spiders explode. Okay, well, see, that brings up the question about the fact that there are lots of spiders in the world. Right. I mean, there are hordes of spiders right under his feet, living in the yeah. ground everywhere we walk. We are surrounded by spiders. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I don't know what this, I, I, maybe this is just a little bit too dull. Um, it was It was not great. It wasn't bad. Just not great Spider-Man. It just seemed like filler. And I have a feeling that next issue's The Brainwasher isn't going to be epic either. But mm-hmm. But who knows? I only say that because I've never heard of the brainwasher. Um, yeah. But that that ends our year. Us just going like anyway. Anyway, so that's the yeah. So 1967 has drawn to a close. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, first December of the month, or are we going to do that after our thing? Oh yeah, we got to do what we got to do our likes and dislikes for the um, December for the month. So <laughs> let's bring that up. Um, all right, so I think I know what I have for my favorite and my least favorite. But first, got to do the rundown, right? Rundown first. Rundown. Rundown first. We have Sergeant Fury 51 with the assassin and um, the really surprisingly dramatic developments of that story that I will not oh, go yeah. back into again because we had a trigger warning up before. Shoot. I forgot about that story. Right? Yeah. Strange yeah. Tales 166, Doctor Strange versus Voltorg, 
and the Yandroth Scientist Supreme, and then Nick Fury in a wingsuit up against Yellow Claw, and Sawan dies at the end. Mm-hmm. Thor 149, When Falls a Hero. It's part two of Thor versus the Wrecker, but Thor doesn't have his powers. And the Inhumans, Silence or Death, where Blackpolt has to say silent despite his son going, you, not his son, his brother going, you can't get mad, I'm not touching you, you can't get mad, I'm not touching you, you can't get mad, I'm not touching you. <laughs> Tales of Suspense 99, Iron Man is at the mercy of the Magia uh, with um, Whiplash and a sinking ship. Captain America against the man who died twice fighting against uh, now a Baron Zemo and Irma Cruel has to um, kill Captain kill America at the end. Kill him. Fantastic Four 72, where soars the Silver Surfer? Silver Surfer's like, I hate humans. They're so warlike. I'm just going to war them all until the Fantastic Four stop him. Daredevil 37, don't look now, but it's Dr. Doom. Dr. Mm. Doom kidnaps Daredevil, takes him back to the Latverian estate, um, and after a bunch of shenanigans, is like, hey, let's swap brains. And then we're to our stuff for this issue, Tales to Astonish 101, where the Hulk fights the Asgardians, and Namor goes after his destiny, mm. or density. The <laughs> Avengers 49, with Magneto being awesome. The X-Men 41, with Grotesque being not and the uh, continued origin of Cyclops in the back. Marvel Superheroes 13, Captain Marvel finds a secret identity, and the Sentry wakes up, and Amazing Spider-Man 58 to kill a Spider-Man. I was going to say Avengers 49 is hands down my favorite, but I forgot about that Sergeant Fury one. It's a big one. It's a pretty big one, and it's a little more important maybe than, than, than Magneto, but I don't know. Go with your gut. If you think Avengers, go with Avengers. I think I'm going to pick Avengers. Because I was going to go. I enjoyed it. Go ahead. I just enjoyed I liked that, like, everybody's in crisis mode right now. It just felt good. And the art was really good. And and Magneto approaching the people was, you know, dramatic. And it was cool. It is, definitely. Um, What's your bottom pick? Oh, that's easy. X-Men 41 is stupid. I was trying to decide between the usual suspects of Doctor Strange and the X-Men. And I was looking Uh through my notes. And I realized... um, what clinched the X-Men for me this month. The uh-huh. backup story was complete blah and yeah. grotesque. I mean, really? So there were some bits I liked for that issue, but I did not like the issue. Grotesque named by the X-Men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, freak. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah. Also, he's not human, so why is he a subhuman? I don't know. Whatever. Anyway... So what'd you pick for favorite, Sergeant Fury? Sergeant Fury, yeah. Okay. Uh, it was heavy as anything, but it was a yeah. pretty fantastic story. And it this month had good. a lot of good. But it I did. It's one of my favorite issues of that whole series. But what's weird is some of the good, like Thor was really good, but at the same time I thought afterwards, well, this is where we started. And then Tales of Suspense, in both cases, Iron Man and Cap was kind of like, well, that's where we started. Mm-hmm. They're both still captured. Fantastic Four annoyed me. That could have been a bad one. That could have been my least favorite this month, in a way. Silver Surfer really annoyed me in that one. Uh, Daredevil was good-ish. Hulk went from banner to banner. The uh, the, yeah. the Warriors three fights seemed to have nothing going. No, no. I mean, it was fun. It was a fun read. I yeah. liked the issue, but if you're did you know there's a Hulk versus Asgard cartoon where Loki sent, summons Hulk to Asgard and makes him fight? I wonder if they took that from this story. Oh, that's a good question. Anyway. 
So yeah, 1967. 1967. There's no way to look at this whole year in one shot, is there? Let's see. No, we can talk about where we were a year ago. Well, uh, I'll switch to January and see what we were. We were Hercules just showing up in Avengers. Just showed up. So he was he was banned for a year. So we're almost at the end of that year. Oh, yeah. Craven. Was this the first Craven or multiple? Would you uh, Craven the Hunter? This was the part of the Craven, Vulture, then Craven and Vulture. Trio. Okay. Daredevil's fighting Stiltman. Fantastic Four was fighting a Sandman with a cool, a lame, cool costume. Like he thought it was cool, but it wasn't cool. That's where Kirby did some really awesome Sandman work. And that Daredevil is when we still cared about the Mass Marauder or pretended to at least. Right. That's right. Um, Sergeant Fury looked more, was pre Starenko or was this Starenko? Sergeant Fury never got Starenko. I'm sorry. Strange Tales Nick Fury is being drawn by Starenko, but he's fighting. Hydra, so this is still like before he reboots him completely. Yeah. And the Doctor Strange that issue was the fearful finish. I have no idea what that is. What was drawing over Marie Severn was drawing it, so it looked pretty, but didn't make a lot of sense. Captain America is summoned by the Red Skull to fight Power Man and Swordsman, and then it turns into that big city weird plot that didn't go anywhere. And Iron Man is doing what? I don't know what Iron Man's doing. It's hard to tell. You can't tell from the cover. It's called Beyond All Rescue, but I don't know what that was. That was, if we just switch to the next one, that was, uh, I don't know, Melter and stuff, I guess. Okay. Sergeant Fury 40 had um, France could be free. So Dick Ayers was drawing, but um, John Severin had not picked it up yet. I think Johnny Severin is one of the things that has really helped change this book. Mm. Um, X-Men had The Menace of Merlin, which I recall is one of my least favorite stories we've ever read. It was during the Factor 3 thing. It's like they stopped to mm. do something. They, they brought in another artist for a one-off issue. Mm-hmm. And they just like ignored the Factor 3 And he thing. just was randomly in love with Marvel Girl, and he did all this magic stuff. And Professor X was still there because mm-hmm. he took him, too, for no reason. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then Thor is, I think it was that war with the trolls or whatever going on. Right. Remember when that happened? I do. They, yeah, the, the Asgardian Troll War. I do remember that. It was like three issues. That was a pretty was good run. right after Jane Foster failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, it was the second issue of Sif, because she went along for the ride with him and helped him fight. Right. And they get stuck on Earth, and he's like stuck as, as uh, what's his name? Because they steal was, his hammer. Samaritan was fighting Bira. And okay. uh, Hulk was yeah. fighting the Abomination. Gosh, this all seems like yesterday, kind of. We went... You know, every year feels like it goes a little bit more quickly than the year before it. And I don't know if it's because we're doing enough of these. We've also sped up our coverage a little bit. So five issues. Um, uh, you would episode. think it'd be going slower because every year is also more comics. but It is, especially going into this next year. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. okay. So some who would you guess is my um, favorite character for this year? I would not say Spider-Man because Ramita has really like – dip the complexity in a way it is spider-man but is like only four of the 12 months that i picked spider-man it's still the one i picked the most often mm. but well there only- was a there was a i was just flipping through for some classic covers there is spider-man no more that's a pretty big deal mm-hmm. but i don't know what else about spider oh kingpin i guess your uh your favorite for this year was a tie between fantastic four and the avengers you okay. picked both of those three times each. All right, cool. Um, dislikes. Uh, my, X-Men? Yes. Both <laughs> of us, our most disliked book was X-Men. 
I was looking to see if I had any ties because I only picked X Men three times this month. Oh, um, but I don't think I see I, any ties. Did I do twelve? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> five times. That's almost fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, Doctor Strange is my other. Doctor Strange, you picked only twice this year. I was going to say, I didn't think I picked him that much this year. You picked mm-hmm. S.H.I.E.L.D. a couple times. Oh, yeah. Namor once, Daredevil once or twice, just once. Oh, no, because he was getting bonkers, and it was yeah. annoying me. Uh, but for all time, both of us, each separately and together, our most liked strip is Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? It's the 60s. Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping Fantastic Four, but I feel like 66 was a high point and 67, not as much. And our least liked strips of all time. My highest count is still Thor. So I must have picked Thor a whole bunch of times. But yours was X-Men and ours together was X-Men. Okay. Well, there was that period of Thor where he was pretty wanderless. And I did pick Thor twice this year. So that added two more to the the count. Yep. Uh, Oh, because of uh, Kang? Yeah, I remember that one. And there was another one around that time. Two issues in a row. Yeah. But Thor has mostly been good. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, ever since he decided to be an Asgardian, he's been pretty good. So um, just looking at the other things you've liked, my my highest by far is Spidey. My second is Fantastic Four. You're tied for Fantastic Four and Spidey, and nothing else really – comes anywhere close on either of our lists. But that makes sense, right? I mean, mm-hmm. these are the two big books. I'm actually curious as we go forward, like, who's going to win out? Because I know the Fantastic Four will probably have peaks again soon. We have um, still neither one of us has picked Namor as a favorite. Well, that makes sense. And um, dislikes uh, Thor and X-Men are both 10 for me, 10 times. So they're tied, but second place is a tie between Torch and Doctor Strange. So the Strange Tales crew, and mm-hmm. very close behind that is um, Ant Man. So those mm-hmm. old stories are still ranked highly as far as stuff I've picked. And for you, your most disliked is X Men, and tied for second place are Thor and Ant Man. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. I have fonder memories of Ant Man than I probably actually experienced. <laughs> it's just nostalgia or something because we recently had that ant-man story in avengers kind of that i was just like oh this is so cool Ant-Man yeah. again well i think a lot of it was giant man too whenever he became giant man we started liking yeah. him less but it's the same strip so it gives him the same count that's true um, i definitely liked him less when he became giant man when we are teamed up x-men is the top thor's second place for hates not hates dislikes and Spidey is the top. Fantastic Four is a distant second for our joint likes. How funny that X-Men is going to someday like win everything all the time, bro. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a when big change. When is that, though? Well, the crazy thing is, okay, so the last year and a half of this book is pretty is, – is an improvement. I'd say it's mostly pretty solid. We'll see if it holds up when we get there. But it's a big improvement because Neil Adams takes on the cover – or takes on the art – um, we get some new characters like Polaris and such. Um, and so whenever the series ends, people want it back. Mm. But when I'm thinking about wanting this book back the way it is right now, I'm just like, wow, why would anyone? It's like, when is, I think Claremont is 
90s or something? Claremont goes 1975 through 1991. And then he comes back? Uh, he 1991? Comes back if, yeah, whenever X-Men relaunches, that's whenever Claremont stops. Oh my God, was that 1991? I thought that was like two mm. days ago. Oh my God. The X-Men volume two, number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember that. That was 1991. Oh 1991. I was 12 that year. Oh no. I you was were like 16. 16. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if we can make it to 90, 19, or we can make it to X-Men 94. That's when he starts his run. Yes. And uh, but, yeah. he, um, he actually does some like behind the scenes production work on the last issue or two. Cause he's okay. in the office helping staple together comics. But he, okay. doesn't do, he doesn't do creative work on the X-Men until until the relaunch. We just need some Colossus, you know? We need yeah. more Colossus in our book. Right. Colossus. We'll get some Storm going on. Yeah. Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. But right now – It's we, not the characters, though. It's the writing. Because I think Cyclops and Beast and all of them could be good, too. Yes, they are. They are very interesting characters. Just mm. not right now. Mm-mm. Right now well, we have Beast Grotesque. is on the wrong team, for starters. Oh, really? You're an Avenger for Beast? I am an Avenger for Beast. Oh, fun. I think, I think he's much cooler on the end. So a year from now, we're going to have Captain America um, and Iron Man as separate books. We're going to have Doctor Strange and S.H.I.E.L.D. as separate books. We're going to have Incredible Hulk and Namor as separate books. Um, and we're going to have a whole different title that we haven't even talked about yet. Silver Surfer is going to have started up by a year from now. Mm-hmm. So... Our, our lineup will be expanding as we go forward. It will still be doing Marvel superheroes every other month um, a year from now, but it'll be almost done. Okay. Looking forward to it. Exciting. Exciting change. Yep, yep, yep. All righty. So where um, are we going to read comics? Let's say where can they find us? But no, that's first, what are we Homework. reading next what episode? Right. Yes. So if you um, can go back to the holiday season of 1967 and look under someone's Christmas tree and swipe a copy of the Marvel storybook annual for this year. We're going to be covering that next month, next episode on sometimes the next month. We're also going to be covering Sergeant Fury 52 is our first January, 1968 comic strange tales, 167, the penultimate issue of that series Thor 150 and Iron Man and Submariner number only. So um, those are our five Number books. Number only. For, number yeah. only. Uh, and so read those for next week. And Mike, where can they find us? They can find us at makeoursmarvel.com. Uh, you'll find links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter. Please follow us on Twitter. Still looking for that 2,000. Was it 1,000 or 2,000? 1,000. We've got to hit the one. first 1,000 first. Let's start with 1,000 and not be greedy. I'll be happy with that. Um, you also find links to all the uh, our show on all the, uh, you know, popular podcasts and stuff or just an RSS feed if you want to plug it into your favorite non-popular podcast. You can also find a contact form or write directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Also on the website, you can find our uh, PayPal link. So if you want to go drop a uh, uh, some change in the tip jar, that's always appreciated, although we don't expect you to do so. The podcast is free. Um, you can follow both me and Mike individually on Twitter after you click follow on the show. Go click follow on the show first because we're trying to get a thousand. Four digits. That's all we want. Just four. Um, and then follow me on Twitter. I'm John Reads Comics. He's Kaiser the Great. And uh, yeah, we will be back next week with more next comics week. goodness. So until then, or until Tales to Astonish comes back as a team up between the Hulk and the Submariner and the Ant Man and the Wasp. 
Make ours marvel.